Well, welcome. Good to see you. I always feel, I don't know if you feel this way, I feel like this time of year is more like the new year than the actual new year in January, right? Because in January, not that much changes. We had a little break at Christmas. But in September, everything changes, and we go back to routines, or we start new routines. John touched it on already. Uh, We've got kids going into school, maybe for the first time. Some of you have your kids for the first time going into school or to a new school, to a new grade today. uh, We'll talk about this a little bit later. Even our kids who are in the back of the church, it's pop-up Sunday, and so many of them in their classes here at church are going up a grade or up a class, uh, and that's really exciting. Brings a little bit of nervousness. I know for this week, if you guys are like us in the zone of uh, parenting small children. It meant that the first day of school is when you got out that cute little chalkboard. You know, hey, my name is Junior and it's my first day of grade three. I know you all did it because I saw it on Instagram. That's fine. We did it too. And I think the point is that we're sort of tracking our kids through school. We'll be able to look through these pictures as they go. And, oh, look at in kindergarten, they were so small. And now they're in grade six, and they're huge, and they eat all the food. And we kind of watch them grow as they go along. My favorite part are the little chalkboards that have the, I want to be blank when I grow up. And they're the best when they're really small kids. I want to be a unicorn when I grow up. I want to be Superman when I grow up. You go, we'll try and be the most supportive parents we can to make your dream happen. But I don't know, you know, it's going to change though along the way. I wonder if there's a certain age where all of a sudden that line gets a little more accurate. I don't know yet. Our kids are still pretty small, but maybe as they go through grade school and they start to, you know, figure out their own personality and the things that they're good at, maybe it starts to get more accurate what they would be. Um, I would never have been accurate. I would never have put pastor on that thing. I mean, if your kid puts pastor on it, that's a red flag, I think. You got to go, us. It's just weird, not that it's terrible, but that's weird as a kid, I don't know. My wife was different though, when she was pretty young, she would have, if she, you know, these things weren't a fad when we were kids, but she would have wrote, wrote teacher on there, and she, she did it, she's a teacher now, she went all the way, she followed through, um, but I, you know, that never would have been my thing, but anyways, um, we grow and we develop and we learn about ourselves, and it's cool to see our kids do that, and even in the midst of the excitement of a new year and something new, uh, John mentioned this in, in the, the announcements a second ago, there's also a nervousness, maybe even an anxiety as we get back into routines or start new ones and we're, we're not sure about certain things and how they're going to go and transitions are tough. Transitions are tough for kids and some of you, we've felt that this week in our kids back in school. Transitions are tough for adults too and some of us struggle with that a little bit. Mac students, great to see you guys here today. This is a transition time for you. You've had maybe a week on campus, maybe a little bit more you moved in. Uh, We're so glad to see you. You might not have the chalkboard thing. Maybe you do. That'd be awesome too. Um, But you're tracking through university too. And those developments, they're similar, a little bit different. But you're going into university. And and if it's your first year, you might be thinking, I'm not sure if I picked the right program. I don't know who I'm supposed to be coming out of university. Uh, As you go along, there might be a little bit of pressure. How well am I doing? and am I comparing well to the other people around me and you know did I pick the right and do I have to change my program and what am I going to end up being when I come out of this and so we track even all the way through by the way students if you feel that and you go oh man I got a year in maybe I got to switch pretty much everybody I know switched in university it's fine you'll figure it out I did that it's why I'm that's why I'm here Uh, better better worse but it wasn't on the chalkboard but in university all of a sudden something changed um, and that's okay, but there's this, this uh, development that goes along because we're all growing up, and, and if you are a student uh, or a high school student, whatever, and you're thinking, man, okay, that's something, and I want to get to that place where I'm finally done school and I know who I am and what I'm going to do, you just also need to know from people who are a little bit further down the road, we don't know either. We're still learning it. I mean, we pick some sort of path in our life, but you know, 
a lot of us, we go, hey, I'm in the working world, or I have a family, but I'm still not sure if I'm in the right place, or maybe I need to switch careers, or what about a different job? Do I need to move somewhere else? And all of that doesn't necessarily go away. We're all working towards being who it is that we are. And I think about those kids that we're kind of watching grow up, and we're watching them develop. And in a lot of ways, this is good, but in a lot of ways, we're trying to teach them slowly over time to become adults. There's some really important aspects of that. We want them to mature. We want them to learn certain things. But as we start sort of a new season and some new rhythms, today I wonder if the message is not so much us thinking about what our kids need to do to be more like us, but perhaps what we need to do to be more like them. Because we go through these transitions, and as exciting as maybe this season of life is, uh, I think a lot of us are probably a little bit worried and have a little bit of anxiety and some doubts about where we're at in life and, and what's coming next. And if that's where you're at, you're struggling maybe because you're trying to integrate your kids into school, or maybe it's just a time in your life where you're asking questions about who you are and what you're becoming and, and what you should be doing, that today maybe we just stop and, and we enter into thinking through some new rhythms. And if you're new to our church, one of the things we talk about all the time here, um, maybe it's the one thing that we talk about all the time, is what it would look like for us together to follow Jesus. And so I want to invite you in this whole series, as we talk about what things could look like this year, just to think through maybe some new rhythms for you as you learn and grow and for our children. And, and we're going to talk about some things that are really important to us as a church community in this series and just ask some questions of what it would look like for us to say whatever else we're doing and learning and growing in, what would it look like for us to take seriously following Jesus? So there's a small little passage in Mark chapter 10. Actually, this little story shows up in three of the four Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have it. Um, and I'm going to start reading in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. If you have a Bible or an app with a Bible app on it, um, a phone with a Bible app on it, I'd love for you to follow on and read it. It's just a few verses, but I think it's really powerful um, and kind of jolts us out of the way that we maybe have been thinking. So Mark 10, verse 13 says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. So the word here, it's kind of a specific one, although there's a range of meaning for kids, probably means young kids. It could mean directly infants, like very, very small children, or it could mean a little bit older, but probably most scholars recognize this is a word that's usually used for kids, probably about seven and under. So we got small kids and we have their parents and Jesus has been out teaching and he's been healing and he's gathering a following and people are, are wondering about Jesus and, and starting to hear these, these miraculous things. And so parents go, I want to bring my kids and I want Jesus to, to touch them. And right away we see the disciples, they're like pushing people away. Like some of us might do if we started this morning, if the band goes up and all of a sudden our kids just kind of took over the stage and ran up, probably most of us would be like, what's going on here? What are these kids? Get them out of here. We're doing something. So you understand what they're doing. Jesus is important. He's teaching. He's healing. There's crowds coming after him, all the rest of it. And you got these kids and the disciples, probably well-meaning adults, are kind of pushing them back. Don't you realize we've got important things to do here? But it's interesting that what the parents want is they want their, their children to be touched by Jesus. They want a, a touch or a blessing. And so I looked up that word, what it means to touch, that was originally written here in Greek, and it means a few things. It could mean sort of figuratively to make an impact. So we talk about that all the time. So-and-so touched my life, and we mean uh, at a certain point in life they had an impact on me. They, they influenced me in certain ways. It could be a touch of intimacy or bond, brings people together in, in, a, in a good, positive way. Or, and this is my favorite one, it could be the word used to set something on fire. So think we have... 
uh, lighters. In this context, they wouldn't have. Maybe a torch, I don't know. But think of something that's on fire. Maybe you're making a campfire or something, and you've got it all set up, and you've got the newspaper, and then the kindling, and then some wood, and you light something on fire, a match, a lighter, whatever, and then you take that flame and you touch the paper, and all of a sudden, the flame on the lighter becomes the flame, on the paper becomes the flame, on the kindling becomes the flame, on the logs and becomes a roaring fire. Isn't that an amazing imagery? They came for a touch from Jesus. They came for a blessing. They came for something that Jesus possessed that could flow from him into them that would make an impact and change them that in some way might set them on fire. And these parents, they saw this in Jesus and they wanted their kids to have what he had for them to be touched by him. Now, a little bit of context, because in Jesus' world, touching like that um, was kind of complicated. In fact, in the Jewish law, we read in our Old Testament, places like Leviticus, there's a whole bunch of ways that touching someone or something else actually makes you impure. So it's this idea that if I get too close to something that's impure, touch it, it's going to make me impure, and then you're not fit for worship. You're not fit to go to the temple. Um, There's different regulations about how you become pure again, how much time has to pass, what you have to do, whether or not a priest has to come and uh, declare you clean, all that kind of stuff. And these things, some of them could be quote-unquote sinful things that somebody does to make them impure. But some of them, it's just, you know, you get too close and you touch someone that has an illness, or a sickness, and you see it's almost like this contagious thing that their impurity becomes my impurity because I touch them. There's some things that are even almost kind of really obscure, like you touch uh, the dead body of an insect. You go, oh, nuts, I'm impure. I didn't see that ant right there on the thing. Some weird things, but just so you know, so everybody's very conscious in this culture that we just don't go around touching everybody or everything because it's, it's got religious and spiritual significance to it, uh, let alone anything else. And so uh, here we have Jesus and the parents bringing, but they want Jesus to touch them. But you can see why the disciples might go, hey, we're not just going around touching people. Like There could be these impurity things, and are we sure this is right? And what if it affects our worship and our standing before God and all these different things? Amazing. Um, if you look at Jesus' life and his ministry, Jesus seemed to kind of flout those rules often. The touch one, Jesus, we read his touch happens in a whole bunch of different ways. We read people that um, are sick and ill that most people go, well, you can't, t- you can't get too close to that guy. But what happens is instead of when Jesus touches those people who are struggling with those illness, instead of him becoming sick, they become well. That instead of their impurity flowing to him, his purity is flowing to them. He's turning the tables. There's all kinds of different uh, instances. Again, people who are sick, people who are, are deaf, people who are, uh, can't speak. And, and part of it is when Jesus is healing people, you might even wonder why he's touching them because you go, he doesn't have to touch them. He could wave a magic wand if he wants. He could say a special word. He doesn't have to get close to them. What's the deal with this? Even people who are doubting and have no faith. You have Peter. Peter's walking on the water when, when Jesus calls him out on the water on his boat. You might remember this if you're familiar. And he's walking on the water and all of a sudden he doubts and he starts sinking in the water and Jesus reaches out and he grabs him, touches him. Thomas is the famous disciple after Jesus died and was resurrected. Uh, Thomas, he just couldn't believe it. I get that. People don't come back to life too often. And so he's, I'm not so sure about this. And what does Jesus do for Thomas? He says, touch me, touch my wounds to make this real. I'll show you. I'm here. I'm present with you physically right here with you. And so Jesus often does that. But you wonder, the question is, well, why does Jesus have to touch people in these instances? He probably doesn't need to, but he does. And I think perhaps it is Jesus' way of of saying, I want to enter into your life, into your struggle, 
into your mess and to right where you are in a very practical way with a bond of intimacy and perhaps even to set you on fire with God's presence. Isn't that a beautiful thing? There was a leper, as I talked about lepers, and um, in the Bible that term is pretty broad. It can mean a lot of things uh, that have to do with different skin conditions or illnesses. Um, and, and this was really serious for the people in Jesus. Like, we can't go near those people. We can't touch them because it will uh, affect us, and their leprosy is contagious, and then we'll get it. And Jesus, one time, he's interacting with someone who's got leprosy, uh, and, and he's talking about, you know, do you want to be healed? And the guy says to him, if you will. In other words, if you're willing, what do you mean? I think he means if you're willing to step into my world, if you're stelling to, willing to touch me where I'm at, if you're willing to come into my illness, my, my struggle, my hurt, my pain, if you're willing to be here right now, and Jesus says, I am willing, and touches him and makes him clean. Isn't that a beautiful picture of turning the tables where so many of us were afraid we've got to keep people at a distance because we don't want their mess to become our mess? And isn't it so much the story and the message of Jesus that God would step into this world in such a practical way that he would reach out and touch our lives to bring the fire of his presence in our life in a very real and practical way? And you go, well, I'm pretty messed up. I'm going through some stuff. I've got some things. I'm probably contagious in some kind of weird spiritual or emotional or physical way. And God says, I want to come into your life and not just at a distance, but I want to come and touch your life and to make an impact on who you are. So verse 14 says, when Jesus saw what was happening, the disciples pushing away these children, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. The question here is, does God really want to notice or get involved or focus his attention and time on these humble children? And actually, when they're stopped, it says he gets angry, indignant. He's greatly displeased. He's grieved. He's angry, the kind of anger that you get when something is not right, it's not fair, it's unjust. Jesus sees this and goes, you're doing the exact opposite things. These are the ones that, in fact, you think these children have to become more like you, but you need to become more like these children. This is it. You need to learn from them. They totally get it. He says that, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom, receive means to accept or to welcome. Uh, interesting, one of the translations can be to take the hand or to embrace. And so you see Jesus, and they want to touch. And what are the children going to do? What's their response? As Jesus reaches out and touches them is to receive the touch. I reach out my hand, and the kids say, I will take your hand in this kind of embrace. And that's exactly what Jesus does. It says that, that he, embraced, he took the children in their arms, placed his hands on their heads. The, the word there is like a hug or embrace. He didn't just kind of go, welcome, I'm glad you're here. But like, just takes them in their hand, probably again, why we think they're really small children. And he embraces them. He hugs them. He comes right into their world. And there's this totally non-transactional, but relational, loving moment where his blessing is imparted upon these children. And what's their job? They receive the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, this is the paradigm. This is the picture. This is how we operate before God, like children. You want to learn something? You want to grow? You need to become more like the children. In fact, this is the only way that it works. The next passage, and in all three Gospels, as I mentioned, this little story is in, 
In all three Gospels, the next passage is the same, and I think that's important because the writers who are writing these things down often are they're, uh, arranging their material topically and thematically so that one thing leads to another, and, and what you just read makes sense in the context of what you're about to read. And so the next story that happens in Mark chapter 10 and, and in the other Gospels is that Jesus interacts with a rich man. Here's a bit about how that interaction go. A rich man comes and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now, red flag number one, what do I have to do to inherit? Here's what you have to do to inherit. Nothing. You, you, don't, do, you don't earn an inheritance. You receive an inheritance. Somebody else has earned that money. So if you, earn, or if you receive an inheritance from your parents, it's not because you worked for your, your whole life to get whatever that inheritance is. And now you're going to go take it. It's because they worked their entire life for that. And now they're giving it to you. And so what do you do? You receive it. But the rich man, he says, what do I have to do? So Jesus, he plays along a little bit. Okay, let's take your logic and let's play it out. Well, what about the commandments? So they start talking about some of the commandments, especially the big ones. Don't murder, don't steal, all this kind of stuff. And the guy says, all those things I've done since my youth. Check, 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 check. No problem. I follow the big commandments. I am a good religious person trying to do my best. He goes, okay, that's great. And then Jesus turns to him and he goes, now why don't you sell all your stuff? You give it to the poor and come follow me. You know what it says? That the man was very, very sad because he was very, very rich. And he turned and left. Turns out he was too rich to follow Jesus. So he had a resume. He had all the, I've done, I've done, I've done, I've earned, I've earned, I've earned. And it's not just that he's done well in life and in business and whatever it is that his career was, we don't know. It's not that that's a terrible thing, but when it comes down to it, he's got this identity that he is protecting. This is who I am. And you can see the paradigm still working out in his interaction with Jesus. What do I have to do? Just tell me what I have to do. And the disciples will come and afterwards they'll go, Jesus, wow, this, I'm paraphrasing, but like, wow, this was hard. You turned this guy away. Like, is, could, could we, could any of us really follow you? If he can't, he had it all together. And Jesus says, this is awesome. He says, dear children, dear children, not rich guys, not, hey, guys with fancy resumes, dear children. Remember the children that just came to Jesus? It's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Everything is possible with the one who reaches out his hand to enter into your life. But it's not something that you can earn. It's something you have to receive. You reach out and you receive it and let him embrace you. Let him step into your life. Let him step into your mess. Let him step into your struggle to be there with you, to impart his love, to reach out and touch you and to allow his presence to be with you, his blessing to come from him to you and for you to be set on fire with his love. And that's how it works. You need to become like children. Ah, but don't our children need to become like us? They've got to mature. They've got to grow up. Yes, and it's not saying you need to be childish, which we say in kind of a negative way. Not that you're supposed to be immature. Not that you're supposed to be um, not learning things and growing and maturing. Of course not, but you're supposed to be childlike. What are the children like? Well, they don't have a resume. They don't even know that they need one. They're not proud or arrogant. They're not depending on some kind of facade that they've created and earned and that they've put out into the world. 
They're humble, and they're joyful, they're dependent, and they're ready to receive what Jesus has for them. You just touch me. That's what I need. I need your blessing. I need your presence. Can I earn it? No, it wouldn't even occur to them like it would to the rich man. But instead, Jesus takes him in his arms, he hugs him, and he embraces him, and he transfers that blessing to them. I wonder if we could ask ourselves, in what sense are we rich? What is it about ourselves that maybe we're holding on to, that we're defending a certain identity or identity markers where we think, this is kind of who I am, and i got to make sure that people know this. This is the thing I write on my chalkboard. This is my first day. This is my grade level. This is what I've done or that I'm doing to make myself significant. And maybe those are the things Jesus go, okay, that's great, but that doesn't get you very far for me. How about I reach out and touch you and all you have to do is receive me. And that's what is meaningful. That's what makes all the difference. See, underneath all of our need for accomplishment, and we live in a culture and a society that praises productivity and efficiency and getting things done, and making sure that we earn, earn, earn. you got to ask yourself, underneath all of that, is it not true that there lies an anxiety or a depression, a loneliness, a lack of intimacy and friendship, sometimes emptiness, or even a feeling of uselessness, that that is just a path that never pays off what we expect it to pay off? It's great all the things that we do. It's great all the things that we, we earn. But what if instead of asking ourselves, how much can I accomplish, we just asked ourselves, how in love am I with Jesus? Because to learn to be more like us today, let's talk about how we can learn how to be more like them. And I think that's the message today. I think that's what God wants to speak to us about today as, as a community and to ask ourselves, are there rhythms that we can implement into our lives that would help remind us that the world doesn't run because of what we do? that actually we can stop and slow down, we can be dependent and humble, let God work when we're not working, and to be okay with the fact that if we are not always winning or accomplishing or earning, that God over and over reaches out to touch our lives with his presence and his blessing. So here we go. Here's my challenge to you. Plan a weekly Sabbath. This is a rhythm I want to I offer you today. 24 hours every week where you do not work. Okay, let's address some of the problems with that. Because <laughs> we might be too busy to follow Jesus, right? So important. So many things that we have to do and accomplish. Students, can I talk to you guys? I know, I get it. Here's what's going to happen if it hasn't already. Some of you, you're already feeling this, but some of you, it's going to be three or four weeks down the road. There's going to be this pressure that starts to mount on you. Some of that is internal because you have high expectations for yourself. So you want to perform at a certain level. You want to get certain grades. You're thinking about grad school and getting into grad school or your career or uh, whatever else, trying to make sure that you're keeping up with your friends or other people in your class. You want to make sure you're on the dean's list and there's something inside of you that goes, you got to do this, you got to do this. Those are all good things. For some of you, that pressure becomes a little external. There's people probably very meaningful who love you, but they want uh, really high standards for you. And as you go along and things get difficult, you get this stress in your life and, and you're going to have this temptation just to put so much stock in what your marks are and whether or not you can get into grad school or this program or that program uh, and what your career is going to be like. And it's going to start to eat at you. For some of you, it's going to really start to eat at you. And you're going to start to think, man, I don't have time for anything, let alone to take 24 hours a day or a week and not work. Let me tell you, as someone who, when they were a student, probably took themselves too seriously and what everything meant with a little bit of perspective being on the other side, 
If I could go back and implement one rhythm that I didn't implement when I was a student, it would be to take a Sabbath every week to remind yourself that God still works when you work. You are not the, the sum of your production and earning, that life is more than what you can do. I think you can be flexible with this, to be honest with you. Traditionally, uh, the Jewish tradition is Friday evening, dinner meal, to Saturday evening, and they don't, they don't work. Uh, for Christians, a lot of times, it's been Sundays, because this is the Lord's Day, and so you come to church, you pray together, we get in Scripture together, we encourage each other, and then we go out. And what are you supposed to do when, when, you, uh, when, you, when you're resting? Two things, pray and play. So, hey, come join us on Sunday, or hey, build this into your rhythm. Some other time you spend good time with God, listening to Him, being in the Scriptures, uh, speaking to Him, offering your anxieties to Him. And then what do you do? You play. You got a hobby? Go for your hobby. You got good friends? Hang out with your friends. You eat good food. You listen to good music. You dance around. You go for a hike in nature. You enjoy the fact that the world doesn't stop spinning if you stop working, because God is working even when you are not. And you realize you are not a sum of everything you can do. And guess what? All of a sudden, life gets a little better because you're not a machine. Hey, students, would you just remember that, especially three or four weeks from now, that God loves you? He sent Jesus to reach out and touch you in your life, even in your stresses, even in your worries, even when there's exams, even when there's midterms, even when there's papers. He's got you. I also think, by the way, if you rest one day a week, you're probably going to work a lot better the other six. Hey, for the rest of us, maybe you were a student or you're just past that time. Turns out the busyness doesn't change, does it? I know we think, and it does in a sense, there's not as much studying and stuff, but it's starting a career, it's having kids, it's working hard at a job, it's developing. There's always things that just, oh, it's, this is difficult. How do you do a rest with kids and all this kind of stuff? Well, you plan and prepare and you do all those same things I just talked about, but you sit down and go, what are we doing one day a week to make sure that we just take our hands off the wheel and say, I'm just going to enjoy the fact that God runs the world and I don't. And life is not all about what I do. In fact, we teach our kids a lot about how to grow up and get qualified to work. And I think we need to learn from them how to put the work away and play. After all, how do you receive the kingdom? You receive the kingdom like a child who's humble and dependent, who doesn't have a resume, and who knows that God will take care of them. He's reaching out and touching their lives to make an impact and setting them on fire. Jesus gets really mad when the disciples uh, push away the children. Really mad. And uh, here at Westside, one of the things that are very important to us is the faith of our children, our teens, uh, our students, the next generation. And I think when Jesus said this, he probably meant literally children, but also he meant probably children, uh, those of us who are adults, but coming as children, those who simply come and accept Jesus. But it's so important for us here to foster the faith, faith of the next generation. In fact, I would say as we read this passage that perhaps some of us were tricked into thinking that what happens in here in this room on Sunday morning is most important when I would argue that probably what's happening in the back of our church and our kids' wing is far more important. One of my biggest concerns is that we could become, as adults, a group of people who become grumpy old church people who create a church that caters to us at the expense of the faith of the next generation. With all my heart, I hope, we will be committed to passing our faith, the torch of our faith, to our kids, our grandkids, uh, you know, spiritually, our children who are back there. That is everything for us. 
So today, before we close, we just want to do a little bit of a ministry focus. And I know some of you are parents, so every week you go up and drop off your kids and you pick them up and you get a glimpse of what's happening there. Some of us were never there. And so we wanted to give you a little bit of information about what's going on. I'm so grateful. We have amazing volunteers that even right now are investing in the next generation, uh, sharing Jesus with them, sharing God's love with them in very practical ways, in ways just like Jesus. They're reaching out into their lives and being very real influences in their lives. We're so grateful. We want to fill you in a little bit on what happens there and what's going on. So I'm going to invite um, Zach up. Okay. Zach, our ministry director, is going to come up, and he's going to share a little bit about kids. You're going to use that. Okay. Hey, everyone. Yes, as Dave said, my name is Zach, and uh, I'm the ministry director here, and a large part of what I do is uh, oversight of family ministries, so really involved with our kids and youth programs. And uh, I was just came from there, so this is good timing, and just want to make sure I didn't miss this segment with you today. Um, and all, I'm not sure if John or Dave already touched on this, because I wasn't here, but all month um, we're kind of launching into ministry here at Westside. So today there's a focus. Next week, all the way to October 2nd, we're going to have a different focus. So um, and if you're a parent with kids, you might have already heard, or if you were here, here with us last week, today is Pop-Up Sunday. We're really excited about that because last year, or last week, kids transitioned in their own school environments to a new grade, so we're just replicating that here on the weekend. So there's a lot of excitement with that. Uh, we have a photo booth, and there's popsicle treats for everyone because we're, kids are popping up. Um, so you'll get those in the lobby, and it'll be a nice way to cool off, too, with this humid uh, weather we're experiencing. Um, but like Dave said, uh, one of our core values here at the church is we want to be a church that has a plan to reach, reach the next generation for Jesus. And uh, we actually did a series in May called At Our Core. Maybe some of you were here, maybe some of you weren't. And uh, I spoke um, lengthier than I am going to now um, about this topic. And I encourage you to check it out um, for a little bit more details on everything around kids and youth and our strategy here at the church. But I just wanted to hit a couple of uh, key moments. Um, I actually have a couple, so photos from that. Um, there's the group photo of the youth group outside, if the team can throw that up. So on this at our core when we did the Next Generation Sunday, that's our youth group um, in the summer doing a food drive for Wesley Urban Ministries. So all of you came and donated food. Um, they, uh, Wesley, Wesley Urban Ministries works with refugees and uh, immigrants coming into Canada. So that was an amazing thing. We did that Sunday. And then also there's a couple of pictures with some kids on stage. If I can pull those up, this is our Upstreet class. So they led a worship song up here during that Sunday. And uh, it was just a ton of fun. So I encourage you to check out the message, but also the full service as well. Um, and one question that I like to ask people is, and I talked about this in my talk, is can you remember a time when someone believed in you? And I think this is really important because we all need someone to believe in us and we all, we all need to believe in someone else. Um, so just like these kids, they need leaders and, uh, and volunteers and parents and just this whole church community to believe in them. And, uh, and this just really helps to build connection, relationship, and deepen their community and their walk with God. Um, so three core things I want to just touch on that we want, um, that we instill through all of our kids programming from, um, birth 
uh, our infants and toddlers environment all the way to grade eight, um, or grade 12, I should say, is that we want kids to have a better future with these three things. One, to make wise choices. Two, have stronger relationships. And three, have a deeper faith. So all of our, uh, everything we do here is wrapped around those three core things. And, um, and each environment that we have has engaging, relevant, and memorable um, curriculum and experiences that works with kids on their level. And we're really excited about um, the curriculum that we have. It's called Orange, if you wanted to check that out. And I talk more about that in my talk as well. Um, now I just want to quickly talk about some of our environments. Uh, there's another picture up here. So this is the youth group that went on our Radiate Winter Retreat. Actually, it was in the April this year uh, for COVID reasons. Um, so they didn't have the winter experience, but that's a group shot that we send up to Ontario Pioneer Camp up north. And uh, they had a blast doing that. And I think I have two other environment shots. So this is Upstreet class. So this is a grade one to five. And then the other shot is um, our Wombling group. So this is preschool and junior and senior kindergarten. I don't have any pictures of our nursery or our junior high group. Um, but really excited about that. Today's pop-up Sunday, and we had a lot of kids graduating from our grade five program to grade six. So we've launched a, um, a middle school program called Transit with grade six, seven, and eight. It's happening down there. I think there's a dozen or so kids um, down there. We're just having a, good, having a good time and a blast launching that as well. And um, so that's a little bit about our environments on Sunday. Um, and then on Monday nights, we have from junior and senior high, so that's grade six all the way to grade 12, we have a middle school and a high school program. Kind of, it's like a drop-in night. There's a lot of community kids that come out and also church kids that come out where it's just a fun night, a lot of gym games, um, great teaching. Um, we're really excited. We're gonna be going through the Alpha Youth Series on Monday nights, starting later September, early October. So we're really looking forward to doing that with our kids on Monday nights as well. And uh, the one last thing I want to leave you with before I invite uh, Bryna to do um, a community prayer. We've been, um, sometimes in our services, we have this part at the end of the service where we just want to intentionally be praying as a community for something. So how fitting is it that we be thinking about the next generation at Westside? But the last thing I want to say is when it comes to investing in the next generation, uh, we need volunteers, and we have an incredible volunteer team. Our churches run on volunteers, and they do such amazing things. And we had a really good summer serve program that we ran this summer with new volunteers. But if this is your first Sunday, um, I would just ask you if you would, over the next coming weeks, prayfully, prayerfully consider if uh, that would be a good fit for you to work with our young kids all the way to our high school environment. Um, and you can come talk to me after the service today, or if you're filling out a Connect card, you can put off, check off kids' ministry, but we're also gonna be building up to a, a sign-up day on October 2nd to officially get new volunteers into teams. So that's just something I wanna leave you with, if that's on your heart, and if that's something that you love to do at Westside Church. And I'll just invite Brian up here. Thanks, Zach. Will you just join me in prayer now uh, for Zach and Danielle, for our children, and for um, this ministry? Awesome God, we just come before you in awe, Lord. We acknowledge you as our Father. You are our provider and the giver of life. Thank you for the lives of our children. 
Thank you for our kids' ministry at Westside, for Zach and Danielle, and for each of the volunteers, leaders, parents, caregivers, grandparents, and family and friends of our children in this place. Thank you for this community at Westside, Lord. You are so good to us. We ask now that you use us to further your kingdom in this place, specifically in the next generation. Put people in our children's lives who love you and will gently instruct them by showing grace to them and help lead them into a loving, eternal relationship with you. Fill us with your spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control to do so. Help us to have a childlike faith and to model a love our children to our children that can only come from you, God. And please, God, forgive us when we don't. We pray now, Father, for the faith and salvation of our children. Help them to know that they are loved by you, and may they love you deeply in return. Speak to their hearts through your word, spirit, and the people around them. For this place, Lord, and the children in it belong to you, and the glory, power, and honor belong to you forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.